I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Editing Podcast. So this week, Denise and I are delighted to be joined by our friend and guest, fiction editor and book coach, Andy Hodges. We are indeed. So Andy is the owner of The Narrative Craft, an editorial business that offers developmental editing, line editing and coaching to fiction authors and creative scholars. Yeah, and one of Andy's specialisms is world building, particularly for science fiction and fantasy. And since that's something that me and Denise are both interested in, but have no clue how to go about, we thought we'd (laughs) explore the topic with an expert. Absolutely. So welcome, Andy. Hello. So, Andy, can you start at the beginning and tell us exactly um, what world building is? and, And also, could you explain how it differs from setting? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with a really geeky dictionary definition All good. Uh, from the Merriam-Webster. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. And that is world building is the creation of a fictional world that is believable and consistent within the context of the story. And that's a new addition to their dictionary from April 2023. So this is oh, wow. yeah. oh, really current. We're on yeah. the button there then, aren't we? So well, is, that, is. is that a new, yeah, well, you are. Is that a new addition to the dictionary or is it just an updated explanation of it? No, it's a new addition. It's been uh, one right. of their words to watch for a while. Oh, right. They've gone ahead and added, added it. Um, and setting, meanwhile, that's more to do with like location in time and mm-hmm. space. Whereas world building usually involves some kind of big idea that marks the <laughs> fictional world as different from our own. And I'll give you a few examples. Yeah, mm, uh, please. For example, the ground could be poisonous at night. Uh, there could only be one gender or humans could fly, have the ability to fly. Right. OK, so. OK. Where a these... setting would be more like. Um, it would be more more anchored in, in in a universe that we understand or that we recognize yeah exactly yeah but you could say that in a sense all novels involve kind of the, the creation of a fictional world so true yeah. authors are like building a world yeah and um there's some editors who have even applied world building to stuff like memoir and they're talking about how individuals create this kind of frame of reference or world in their imagination so some people have taken world building in a in a different direction, but in right. science fiction and fantasy, it's usually to do with the environment, culture, um, stuff like the economy, things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. It is, it is really yeah. interesting. And it's yeah. interesting once you start looking at these different, you know, these little distinctions between these different world, worlds. Like I, mm. it's something like I might be inclined to go to sort of lump world building and setting in the same kind of pot and while I see that you know even even a fictional sorry well an invented world put it like that is um well no a world that's different to ours would still have uh its own setting I could like that that's mm. really helpful to have that distinction so Andy how did you get interested in in this specific aspect of fiction was it after you became an editor or is it something you were already thinking about when you were a reader Well, I've always been interested in science fiction and fantasy ever since I was a child. So I've always been reading that literature. And I know that world building is a really important part of that. Uh, But in a previous career, I worked as a cultural anthropologist. And anthropologists are people who spend time living 
with people, usually in other societies or some kind of social group. And then they keep a diary about their experiences and they write about cultural difference, basically. And that means that they're experts in setting and that's a really useful skill for world building too. So if you've got that background, then you've got this kind of imagination of how the world could be organized differently by having experienced that. Yeah, I you know, I, that idea that, sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'd always wondered how your background as a cultural anthropologist informed your editing or if it did at all and that makes total sense yeah now you've mm -hmm. explained it it was actually blindingly obvious as you explained it of course you've got all this experience of living in different cultures and learning about them and 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 recording it and that makes that's such a great overlap of a sort of transferable skill into fiction that I would never have really have thought about until you pointed that out yeah and also I it's that whole thing about sort of you being able to put your to step into something, to step back from this is the way I experience your own lived experience and just yeah. like soak up somebody else's, um, some other group or culture's um, way of living and, and without trying to put your own footprint on it, just like going, you know, just listen. It's that, it's that kind of idea of, of, of listening and letting it be rather than trying to impose. Yeah, exactly. Like active listening, taking a step back thinking how things could be organized differently too. Yeah. So, yeah. So could you tell us then a little bit more about, about your specific sort of world building expertise? What are your, what are your sort of skills around that? You've mentioned the cultural anthropology, but how, what else do you bring to that? Yeah, absolutely. So before I do that, a quick shout out to the editor, Tanya Gold, because it was actually on one of her courses in my first year as a full-time editor that we discussed and came up with the idea of world building as being a great niche with the anthropology background. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. So, so um, my specific world building expertise is all to do with like culture and society. So you've got other people who'll be really skilled at say um, knowledge about a particular historical era, historians, for example, mm. and then mm -hmm. you've got particular kinds of, scientists or archaeologists who would be really tuned into more environmental stuff or even hard science um, mm -hmm. so my expertise is really best suited to what you'd call social science fiction which is all about exploring society and social relationships so for example the example of there being only one gender what would mm -hmm. how, how might that change society that would involve a kind of sociological imagination where you'd mm -hmm. be thinking about what you call like all the ripple effects of that have you so, read the book? Um, oh, I think it's called Hollow World. No, I've not read that one. Oh, I think look look it up, Andy, because it's okay. it's a very short book. Um, mm -hmm. but in, in that's a book in which um, there's a future society of. Oh, I think it's future, but it's a it the the, the that's a world in which there's there's just one gender, and okay. it's quite interesting. Also, sort of seeing how the author handles the. The complexity around pronouns in terms of clarity mm. you know when they're talking in, in the singular or plural and yeah. and how he gets around that um and 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 it's it's just a great it's a great story as well it's some lovely characterization in it and oh, in fact cool. it's more than people just only there only being one gender they they all physic have the same um body shape and 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 features 
Mm-hmm. So oh, in, that, yeah, in effect, they look really they they look identical, but but actually they don't because they find other ways to make themselves look distinctive. And of course, expression mm-hmm. always defines people. And so um, people don't look the same, even if they do look if even if their features are the same. So it's a really good a really good book. I'll stick a can link you, to it in the show notes as well. Can you remember the author off the top of your head, Louise? Well, look, I just got my computer open, so I will have a look. <laughs> but we'll put yeah like you said we'll put a note in 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 the show notes with a link to it and also to tanya gold and we can link to oh yeah tanya's website and her um courses because she does a lot of really useful stuff for editors doesn't she does she still run the course you did andy she does yeah um that was a course on um working with indie authors so that was a really good intro I, ah, think right. yeah. there's mm-hmm. a, I think there's a self-paced version and a tutored version at the moment. Right. Yeah. The Good author stuff. of that book, Hollow World, is Michael J. Sullivan. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So there you go. And I really Good. love, yeah, Ursula Le Guin, Left Hand of Darkness and all of that, which uh, also explores those kinds of themes. I haven't, um, I haven't read that one. That's an older one. Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. I haven't read any of her stuff, actually. No, I haven't either. No. Yeah. Again, more links in the show notes. Because it's always good. It's always really. I always think it's really fun when you're talking about books to, um, you know, like just go. Oh, you read this? Have you read that? And then you just come away with it, thinking, well, if a friend yeah. liked it and someone and, and they've got the same interests as me, maybe I'll like it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've got when you're talking about this, I've got in my mind um, Stephen King's Fairy Tale because that's what I'm reading at the moment, and of course that's a fantasy and it's set in. Mm. There's large parts of that are certain. Uh, in an alternate world so um that's what i have in my head when you're talking about a uh, world building and setting and things i'm i'm applying it to that as mm-hmm. i go yeah <laughs> i love that description of um that's something you don't hear very often like you hear a lot of people talk about science fiction but you don't often hear people talking about social science fiction and mm. that is a very different thing to the the kind of maybe the hard science you find in a lot of space opera and and I've read a Denise and I've both read a couple of books by Blake Crouch which sort of um explore um bending the laws of physics but that's still much more to do with sort of technical so, stuff yeah but there's a lot of social oh there stuff is in yeah. that as yeah. well yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Blake. love Blake Crouch so he needs to write some more stuff because I've he, read everything he's written he does. Yeah, I know I know <laughs> Andy, when you're editing, um, what are some of the most common problems with world building that um, authors come to you with? Okay, yeah, there's quite a few. And here's a little plug for the blog. So there's a CIP blog post on world building, which lists some of these and discusses them in more detail. Yeah, but the that first you wrote. One, you wrote that blog. I wrote that blog said, post. You wrote yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the first one most people hear about is info dumping, and I like to verb that. Um, mm-hmm. So info dumping is when authors include maybe five pages about plant physiology on their, their fictional planet, and none of that is relevant to the plot. Right. So, exactly. yeah. I mean, readers often just disengage if they if they have to like plow their way through lots of extended description, exposition, that kind of thing. And I've noticed that quite often authors do that when they do have some expertise on a particular topic. So it can yeah. be quite easy, especially if, for example, you're you're a scientist with a background in nonfiction, to just switch into nonfiction mode and invent a load of like kind of factual descriptions of things. Mm. Yeah, so, sort of write, writing what you know, but maybe writing a little bit too much of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And then at the other extreme, you've got unclear setting, which is when there's not enough world building details explained to the reader. Um, and this makes me think of people who talk in riddles. I can be a bit like this sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> People say to me, what, what are you saying? Why can't you just say it directly? Um, so with unclear setting, some of the world building details haven't been mentioned on page to the reader, but the reader really needs to know them to <laughs> understand what's going on. And one example I like to give here is imagine two people having milkshakes in a kitchen now that kitchen could be in a Dorset garden or it could be uh, on a space station uh, moving around Saturn. And th this kind of wider context needs to be explained, what you call the frame of reference, as well as the kind of micro details. And if that's missing, then readers can get the wrong end of the stick and just get confused, which you do not want the reader to get. No. And also your milkshake, if it's revolving around satin, could get messy. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know what... Uh, What's keeping what... it in the glass. Exactly. Like yeah. the gravity systems in place exactly. on the ship. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes I'm just thinking about that sort of example that you've used there. Sometimes it's nice to, to have that sort of sudden switch where... Mm -hmm. you're led to believe that they're just sitting in a kitchen in a Dorset sort of, you know, garden somewhere. And then as the scene draws to a close, there's a, it's almost like there's a twist and mm -hmm. it becomes evident that they're actually they're on a space station going around Saturn or something like that. It's, a, it's like a misdirection, but, mm -hmm. it's done but it's done deliberately. So is, is that kind of acceptable when it's, it's done as part of, consciously as part of I, I the think... sort of setting? I think the key word is that consciously, if it's done mm -hmm. with intention for a particular effect and it works within the context of the story, then absolutely. Right. But if, for example, this scene's very near the end of the book and the twist feels contrived to fit a particular plot point, then it would it would kind of fall flat. So Got yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like world building for people who are into kind of save the cat, that sort of stuff. Um, the world building's best in the fun and games kind of bit of the book. You're going to have to explain book. that, Andy, because you've that's lost one of your riddles. That's one of your riddles. Let's just skip, go back skip to that save bit. the cat. No, no, it's fine. No, explain All it right. because okay, I, I yeah. think it's it's a good one to know. Go yeah, no, save yeah. the cat's kind of it's it's a prescriptive model really of story structure that says you need certain things to happen at different points in the book like an inciting incident or a catalyst, uh, mm -hmm. they call it, near the start, and then kind of different things happening in the middle, what they call fun and games, which is really the people exploring the world or the situation or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. then you need to ramp the tension up in the second half of the book uh, by certain things happening to the protagonist and so on. Uh -huh. so yeah so that's yeah you don't want to be cat. sort of like yeah when people are sort of already kind of like they're at that page turning stage in the second half of the book where things exactly. you're sort of heading towards that denouement and then and then suddenly you're like hang on no no don't want the fun and games now I want to I want to find out who done it or or you know whatever I mean I know that's a crimey thing but yeah, yeah. There's, there's a time and a place isn't there exactly yeah and the world building is best in the first half of the book because that's where you set the world up and the story and then you kind of right. let the story 
play out in the second half yeah. of the right month. so you shouldn't yeah. still be dealing with world building late on see this is a public service announcement for all us non-fiction editors out there who don't know <laughs> really much about this at all so your, your scenario denise would work brilliantly on the first page almost yeah you know what i mean yeah. it's kind of that <laughs> like that kind of thing where you've just all got cozy you've settled down with your cup of tea you're turning the first couple of pages and then you're like wow i didn't see that yeah. coming that's, that's yeah. just kind of um it's, it's almost like a little suspense element there, you know, kind of just draw, drawing you into a false sense of security, like you said with the yeah. misdirection and then... Yeah, like, and then piquing, piquing your interest with that. Oh, it's not going where I thought it was going. This is yeah. interesting. Yeah. How is he going to develop this? Yeah. Exactly. I see, I always learn stuff here because, you know, you work on stuff that's not the same as mine. So that's great. That was really helpful, Andy. So... so uh, were there any more? all right go on then we've had two so far so a third one would be inconsistent world building so if you have i don't know a vampire called edwards who cannot go out in uh sunlight and then halfway through the book he's bailing hay in a field on a sunny (laughs) afternoon Mm -hmm. yes without a a touch of sunburn yeah. let's talk not talk about vampires who sparkle that really upsets me because i love my vampire lore and vampires <laughs> that sparkle don't feature in it as far as i'm concerned <laughs> Ooh, all right i know yeah. that's the, that's the twilight stuff you know it's just it didn't sit well with me there so but that's just as a, as a, as a, as a, as a reader you know so yeah so Sorry. yeah so basically you want to watch out for these inconsistencies because mm. they'll, they'll stop the world from feeling believable yeah, it'll pull yeah. you out if it won't it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Even though it might be completely invented and unreal and break all the laws of physics and chemistry that we're familiar with, once you're in it as a reader, you, you want to believe that it's real, for, you know, for that time that you're in that book. Exactly. And that brings us on to a final point, really, about world building issues in that for everything that's not mentioned in the story, readers are going to believe that everything else operates like it does in the real world like the classic the sun will rise in the east and set in the west and things Mm -hmm. like that they're Mm -hmm. just going to assume everything else is the same as in the real world so you also have to bear that in mind too that's really interesting yeah so yeah it's like a fictional world is always really a comparison with our world yeah yeah and actually that's something in fairy tale that i'm reading just now as I mentioned um and there are two moons in the sky in the fantasy world and he's trying to find his way to this place and he says I'm I'm heading he makes some reference to I'm heading what I think is north assuming that the sun rose in the east <laughs> the way it, the way it does in in my world yeah, know, so yeah, he, yeah so he yeah. articulated that he was made he the character was making that assumption in that world because he couldn't he didn't know for sure that it operated the same way. So he was given that little nod to that there. And that's the thing, though, that even mm-hmm. the characters in the books will do that too, just as the readers will make those assumptions. Mm. It's reasonable and authentic almost to have, assuming that the humans are something that we recognise emotionally. Mm. They find yeah. themselves in, in in situations they're going to... They're going to make us some well, especially if yeah. they've if they've transferred into some new, yes. new new world. Yes, he's gone through a portal, so he's yeah. you know yeah. yeah, of course he has. He wasn't born there. <laughs> yeah. No, he was not born there. 
Just going and, back to that yeah. thing. Sorry, I just wanted to mention that um, that thing Andy was talking about in terms of the sort of contrived plotting. Do you remember, at, um, Denise, when we had on Tim Storm and he was talking about that concept of unearned writing? Un- unearned writing, I yes. I thought that was a really, yeah. Andy's example there was really good example of that, where you just mm-hmm. kind of like, um, you just like sloppily sort of allowing things to happen because it's too... Mm-hmm. It's it's too difficult it, to kind because of, it's um, convenient. It's, yeah, it's yeah, convenient yeah. to do that rather than trying to work out something that would make not make sense, but it'd be more difficult to work it out for yourself. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should put a link to that in the show notes as well. That episode because oh, yeah. that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so is that all? It is I don't want to cut you off again, Andy. Is that? <laughs> Is, is that um, all your suggestions? Is that all? No, I don't mean all. I, I mean, I is know, that you? Know, have you finished? Because that's brilliant. You've given us about five examples here, which has been really useful. But we have um, more if you've got them. Yeah. But... No, no, they're all the okay. main examples. Yeah. Great. So. Okay. So those are the most common problems that we've sort of explored there with you with regard yeah. to world building. So, um, what advice would you give to authors who maybe recognise that their world building is a bit shaky? Um, and they want to improve it and strengthen that to get to give a, a better sense of of place for their um, for their writing. Okay, so there's yeah. a few things I'd advise here, uh, mm-hmm. and it really depends on the world building problem that they have. Because sometimes flat world building could be a problem with perspective and point of view or characterization. But let's assume that it's not, and they basically need to do more research to make the world more believable. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here's some examples. So if your book is set in a cave, visit a cave and take <laughs> notes. And this is a kind of experiential research, which is mm-hmm. quite close to cultural anthropology, because mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. ethnographers would do as well. They'd go to a setting and take notes. Um, you can also do some historical or internet or google wikipedia research whatever floats your boat um, and depending on how discerning your audience is as well Mm. i'd also recommend you think about ripple effects so uh ripple effects are if the ground for instance is poisonous at night what would be the implications of, of that uh you probably wouldn't go around walking barefooted at night but more generally, people might have a completely different approach to nighttime and view it as an incredibly dangerous time of day, for example. And that might have social implications too. That's um, that's much more of a big ripple than I'd initially thought, because it's not just a case of like, oh, people wear different boots or stronger mm-hmm. boots. It's that that change that could change, like you say, the whole fabric of that society where nighttime yeah. just becomes a an indoory thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love it. When, when that when I come across something like that in a book where it, they're establishing a fantasy world and you're starting to learn about the different aspects of it and how they differ from our mm. world and then something comes up and it is like you're describing it's a ripple effect it's a consequence of something that they've already mentioned that I hadn't ever thought of that I hadn't considered and and I feel kind of sort of delighted that it all joins up and it makes sense I, I really like that sort of oh I'd never considered Ooh. that I wonder if I'd ever have thought of that myself it, it really makes me feel that they've really thought about it yeah you, that brings us on to another point that worlds should feel complete as well and mm. if a world feels complete and 
all the dots join up in a nice way that that creates a really satisfying experience for the reader mm. that's exactly what it is it's satisfying it's yeah because you because you do feel that they've really thought about this and it, it's not and all it, cobbled together is it yeah. It's, like a, yeah it's like a whole thing it's like mm-hmm. like like just like our world is it's a whole yeah. thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then another piece of advice linked to that would be to consider all the different levels so you've got like the micro details of setting so if you're in a fantasy medieval-esque environment instead of having I don't know dollars and pounds you might have gold coins silver coins something like that And then if you move up a level, you've got all the kind of macroeconomics, like is it a feudal system? Is it something else? Or take Star Trek where they've abolished money and they live in a kind of post-scarcity economy. So there's all these different levels Mm -hmm. to the different aspects of the world that you can consider. And just taking some time out to make notes on all of these is really helpful. They don't have Mm -hmm. to end up in the story because you could end up overwhelming the reader or info dumping. But Mm -hmm. taking time to make all these notes will in- improve the quality of your world building so so I find that really interesting I do like my fantasy and so I'm wondering about how that fits with scenarios where like you see it's you, you're it you're maybe in a I don't know a Game of Thrones type setting where you mm. know it's like a sort of medieval it's f- kind of feudal it's kind of familiar to us but then there's something to us that's really out of place but it's intentional you know they, mm-hmm. they, they've maybe got some kind of really amazing technology that has come to them from some other thing can that does that always work or, or what are the dangers of trying to do something like that kind of put you on the spot here a wee bit Andy but yeah no that's um, cool. you, you actually yeah. made me think of the Game of Thrones episode where there was a Starbucks cup that yeah. was unfortunately that was not intentional <laughs> that, that was not intentional and that would throw throw you out of the story yeah yeah so yeah. I think this comes down to genre considerations really mm-hmm. and what you'd expect in what kind of story mm-hmm. and what I'd say my take on genre is that it's all about marketing and audience expectation rather than any real kind of limits in the imagination on the kind of story that you can tell so if you had a kind if you had a game of thrones setting with some 25th century technology that might just be a mark that might be a flop uh, for the book and nobody would take it on but that doesn't mean it's not got value as a story or couldn't succeed in another setting and what i really like about self-publishing in particular is that there's often more of a space to move outside some of the genre conventions and write more kind of interesting story, stories that challenge the, these traditional conventions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, even something like steampunk, which is a well-established genre, is 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 a sort of feels to me a little bit like an example of a... a, a you see you've got these settings that are clearly have reference, historical references, but then there's this there's this stuff that you often mm. find in it, this technology that that kind of looks old-fashioned but actually mm. does things that ours can't do. And so that's an example, I suppose, of where someone at some stage, the first person to do it, um, realised it could... Yeah, it could work. They went out on yeah. a limb to do yeah. that. There was, but somebody perhaps, wrote the first steampunk. Yeah, <laughs> somebody, and maybe that's yeah. because it was done well. Yeah. Well, the, the, mm. the first, it was successful because it was done well and because it was done in, in an engaging way. But that's interesting, mm-hmm. though, what you say, Andy, about that kind of risk taking. Um, yeah. 
that's, and that's it, because yeah. that's that's um and and the 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 space for because often publishers you know they do have to think about their markets and their bottom lines whereas it was with with, with the, the when an independent author decides to put their book out they can actually stick to the guns perhaps and decide okay well maybe this won't from a commercial point of view it's not the safest option but it's what i want to write and i'm going to write it and so i love that kind of democratization of the yeah, publishing yeah. industry exactly and, and somewhere I... someone's wishing i wish somebody would write something just like this and then somebody does it and then you've got a ripple effect from that haven't you because you find that they've written something that there was a gap in the market for and maybe just people weren't aware that there was one until somebody took that risk do you know what yeah I, mean? I wanted to add that i think sometimes these genres strike a chord like cyberpunk the idea of these big corporations and a feeling of powerlessness that was really popular in the super corporate 80s and mm. 90s and then mm. grimdark became popular i guess mm. in the mid 2000s onwards and these often link to kind of zeitgeists or feelings that are present in society yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um Andy, i wanted to ask you about um sort of the sort of invented groups and cultures because science fiction mm -hmm. and fantasy novels often include those and um and I know that you've talked about before how editors like you have um special sections in their style sheet for that kind of um stuff what what issues do you think authors need to watch out for when you're creating new cultures or groups I think the number one issue here is harmful stereotypes yeah. because I said earlier all fictional worlds are based on an implicit comparison with the real world. And some of those comparisons might not move that far away from the real world. So there's been discussions in Star Trek, for example, of how certain races that are created in the Star Trek universe have Orientalist characteristics, like the Klingons, for example. Um, and that can be harmful if those groups are assigned kind of negative characteristics mm -hmm. or if there's particular stereotypes that are linked to that group. I think as well, the Ferengi is another one where there's been lots of discussion. Um, right. uh, yeah, linked to representations of Judaism and Jewish people. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So do, do you think, um, do you think the author should consider having some kind of authenticity read or sensitivity read for if they've, if they've created a new world just to look out for that or do you think that's something that an editor should be more mindful I, of that the author should just write and the editor should um I think with a first draft the author should write because you can mm -hmm. get kind of bogged down in thinking what if I do this what do what if I do that and then the mm. kind of writing paralysis can emerge which isn't helpful yeah but before you put that draft out into the world I think it's so important to get lots of feedback and if you're drawing on any real world cultural traditions at all then there's lots of things you can do here the first one is to hire a sensitivity or authenticity reader so that involves active listening, getting feedback from people with first-hand experience of that cultural background and those situations. Mm -hmm. um, and then other levels would be doing lots of research. So 
it's really important as well to look at your position as an author and how that relates to the cultures that you're drawing on. So is, it, is there a hierarchical relationship? Uh, for example, someone from uh, a white Northern European background writing about a black culture, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a kind of a potential appropriation there and um, that's um, that you're not coming to with lived experience at all. Yeah, and th- that's a really big issue. So one thing which is quite topical, I've noticed recently I've had a load of Greek retellings land in my inbox. It, they seem to be quite popular. Mm. So I asked a few friends from Greece just what their perspective was on that. Um, and they had very different perspectives. But one of the things that I found interesting is what was that their issue was more that the Greek voices and the Greek stories that are being written today are kind of ignored in the Anglo-American publishing world. And it's mostly... I. UK or US authors who are using these uh, stories who are being published. So, all right. So, you mean like the classical stuff? I was just about to say, is it about like the like the? Is it like the stuff that Natalie Haynes does and Pat Barker, like retelling of Greek mythology from the female perspective and stuff like that? From all kinds of perspective, yeah. Just just Mm -hmm. including tropes or Greek gods and goddesses in the stories. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I suppose the, the the thing that I was thinking when I was listening to you talk there, Andy, is that um, I think this could potentially be an issue with perhaps quite, uh, quite new or quite novice writers who are mm-hmm. writing very much from their own perspective and they're still learning about a lot of these things like, you know, the, the problematic um, nature of some writing, which is only from one sp- specific perspective i.e. theirs mm-hmm. and and the implications that has for the readership of it and and what they're saying intentionally otherwise about the broad society and, and society structure um it could be that they're perpetuating harmful stereotypes without even realizing That's it right. um it's not intentional yeah. no and, and also it's that kind of idea that it's just about trying to remember that there are so many different ethnicities across the world <laughs> and and so if you are calling on something and you're othering it deliberately you need to be careful if that's based in reality don't you otherwise that can um because what you think might be it might what might be interesting to a person from northern europe mm. um isn't necessarily interesting to the person who lives in a different part of the world for whom that is life and so if that's being used, if that's being othered in a way to or exoticized in some way for the purposes of world building or or or, or, or fantastical world building, particularly, then, I, you know, that's that's really harmful. Potentially. It is. Yeah. And I mean, publishing is ultimately commercial and it's about the bottom line. So sometimes those concerns go out the window if there's an audience and a big market for a particular kind of story. Mm. And that's where exoticism can come in I think like exoticizing other cultures and traditions a little bit because yeah it can make them seem more exciting to a a readership in the UK or the USA yeah particular kind of readership yeah gosh there is a lot of food for thought in this once you start digging down into what's involved in you know good authentic world building 
there are lots of things to take into consideration, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think you've given us a really great insight to that, Andy. It's been you really have really it's like, what a lovely episode. Me. Yeah. Felt yeah. like I've learned so much. Absolutely, me too. Yeah. Um, Andy, just a quick thing. Um, yeah. Because if for those um editors who are thinking, I would love to dig more into this and I want to learn about it, um, tell us about your course. Because okay. so I see on your website it's called Cultural World Building in your SFF novel. Fantastic. Yeah. So I've been working on this course for the past six months and it should be ready to go in autumn 2023. But it basically covers world building and applies social and cultural anthropological insights to it uh, in a way that's accessible to everyone. So it's it's geared up for writers. Editors would also find it interesting. But the focus is on people who are writing a novel and want to learn about some of these debates and issues that we've been discussing and the practical aspects of world building, too, which I focused on more at the start of today's session. So mm. if anybody's interested, there's a wait list up on my website or you can just drop me an email and ask me a question. And I'm also open to people asking world building questions for my newsletter. So if you have any question about world building you want to ask, just get in touch and it will it may well become a blog post or a, a newsletter thread. Yeah, that's brilliant. Brilliant, because, yeah. I mean, I can see, though, something like this. I often think that courses that are designed for authors are so helpful to editors because yeah. if you yeah. don't know, if it's something you want to, at least, even if it wasn't your, a bit to become a specialism, if you want to understand for, you know, even if you come across or you've got a client and you think, you know what, I could really do with just giving them some pointers here or, or mm -hmm. understand because exactly. you, you don't know what you don't know. And so mm -hmm. so I think this would be good for fiction editors who are interested in science fiction and fantasy as well. Just 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 to give you that sort of foundational stuff that you can that helps you 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 see how to guide an author even if it means just sending them over to, to your author the, the author over to do your course um yeah but if you don't yeah. understand what the issues are in the first place um you're not going to realize there's maybe problems so yeah and understanding the author's point of view is so important yeah. as well yeah so. yeah fantastic not even a fiction editor, but I actually am really interested in that. I think I think it would be just <laughs> for my Louise own personal signing up on yeah, the wait list. Just, just for my own personal, you know, yeah. knowledge. I, I, I that's the sort of thing I would find really interesting. So I'm really glad that you're you're building this course, Andy, and I'm sure it will do really well. Yeah, yeah. It will. thank you. Great. So. Thanks so much, Andy. It's really been great to have you on the editing podcast this week. Um, so that's it for this episode. Thank you so much to our listeners for listening again. If you'd like to help support the editing podcast, we've got a couple of options for you. The first is that you can tip us now. You can head over to the editingpodcast.captivate.fm forward slash support just to make a one-off donation of your choosing. Or you can join our Patreon community for only £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. All our patrons get exclusive access to a huge batch of transcripts. And both the links um, for these options are in the show notes. In the meantime, she's been Louise. She's been Denise and he's been Andy. Join us again soon. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.